Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates for our number two. Outkick 360 is back. We are live from 6th and Peabody. Old Smoky Moonshine. Yeehaw Beer. Glad you're with us as well. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Pleased to be joined by former Bama running back Kenneth Darby. First team all SEC in 2005. The year before, Saban got to, uh, to Tuscaloosa. Time to preview the Iron Bowl where they've had recent success against the Auburn Tigers, and this guy certainly knows about that rivalry. Ken, hope you're doing well, man. I'm great, man. How about you guys? Yeah, doing very doing well. well, very well. Iron Bowl, they, uh, Alabama and Auburn first met in 1893, I believe is the year that everyone points to, and since then it's become mm-hmm. one of college football's best rivalries. Put into words for us what it is like. What was your first experience like? For the Iron Bowl, and uh, how do you, how do the both sides make sure that the players understand what's at stake here? You know what? It's funny you ask that question because I kind of get that question all the time <laughs> around this time from people, um, and I always answer it with, "You really can't really put it in words, man, because the rivalry is is humongous for one, and two, the coaches, the fans leading up to the week." not even a week, two weeks before we even play Auburn, man. The fans, they are already in gear. They ready for it. So you hear it all through campus, all right? In a week of, the coaches make sure they getting you ready for the game. But before that time even happens, though, every player on the team already know what to expect. We know the expectations of that game. We know the expectations of the rivalry. So to be honest with you, no coaches really need to say much to us at all because we know the magnitude of the game. We just as pumped about the game than the fans, believe that or not. But we can't show all that enthusiasm yet. We have to show it on the field. But we ready for the game even before we even get here. You are from Huntsville, Alabama. I'm always curious to find out about the recruiting battle inside the state of Alabama. You're, you're coming out of Butler High School in Huntsville. What was it like in terms of who was recruiting you and those battles, obviously, that happen every year between Auburn and Alabama and recruiting? You want to hear a funny story? I, I do. I always want to hear a funny story. <laughs> tell you guys a funny story, man. Uh, I tell people this from time to time. But in high school, um, I was highly sought after recruit, of course, from teams. Um, it started my junior year, I think, when I started getting letters from different teams just expressing their interest in me coming to their program when it becomes that time for me to leave uh, high school. One of the main schools that used to write me tremendous, like a lot, was uh, Michigan State. That was one of them. That was my junior year. Then my senior year, the Michigan State letter stopped. Then I started getting, uh, then I got a lot of letters from the LSU. <laughs> and y'all know oh, yeah. Michigan State yeah. LSU, who was that coach? Oh, yeah. So Coach Saban. Rec- <laughs> He had interest in me in Michigan State when he was there. Then LSU, when he went to LSU, I got a lot of letters from LSU. 
So when my senior year got here, I had a ton of LSU letters, of course, Alabama and some other teams. So my top three choices, <laughs> my top three choices was Alabama, LSU, and believe it or not, Notre Dame. Why? Don't ask. I don't know why I had Notre Dame <laughs> in my top pick. But I took my visit to Alabama, liked everything about it, ended up committing. Because my next, the next week, I was going to go to LSU. But I bypassed that visit and stuck with Alabama. So Nick Saban, I always tell people, he, he recruited me heavily out of high school. I was this close from going <laughs> to LSU to uh, play with him. But the whole rivalry game of who who recruit who, I don't think Auburn even recruited me, wow. to be honest with you. I don't think they even recruited me at all. Have you had a chance to talk to Nick Saban about this since he's been the coach at Alabama, about his no, recruiting I you haven't. there and then you going to Alabama to not play for him? No, I haven't. Believe it or not, I, I actually don't get down to Tuscaloosa as often as I should. Um, I'm such a, like a busy man doing a week in on weekends that I really don't have much time to get down into many games. But I do watch them faithfully, though. But um, I never actually had the time to sit down and talk to him. I said I am. When I do get the time to sit down and talk to him, I'm going to let him know. But I'm pretty sure he should remember me <laughs> if I uh, recall some stuff that uh, he did as far as recruiting me. From a distance, with regard to the Iron Bowl, we tend to see the buildup, the buildup, the buildup, and, and then, you know, couple minutes of interviews afterwards but not the aftermath the way mm -hmm. i'm certain that that guys that play in that game feel it w what was it like after those games your teams didn't have the greatest success in, in your four times round what's it like right. after after that rivalry game where you leave it on, on the field and you walk away maybe coming up short this is <laughs> the first thing the first reaction and the feeling is disappointment um, because you prepare for it the week leading into it. You actually prepare for this game beginning of the season, leading up to the very end of the season. So not being able to win it like you expect to win it is very disappointing and it's heartbreaking because you feel as though you was the better team, but you never know. Certain situations, certain plays or whatnot didn't go your way, what, what caused you the game. And that's how I always thought. I always thought that we could have beat Auburn Every year, that's just my mentality. It's just things just didn't roll the way they should have rolled for us to win or beat them that that day. But far as the players wise, the players we always had a good camaraderie, even on the other team, because we do have friends on the Auburn team as well. So, like I say, we always used to say, "It's no, it's business. Don't take it personal." Because before the game. You're not my friend, but after the game, we can be friends afterwards. And that's how it was after every game. Disappointing, but at the same time, I was still able to speak to some of those players, even though I didn't want to. Former Alabama running back Kenneth Darby with us. Is that losing streak that you had uh, the biggest regret of your college playing days against Auburn, not beating them? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. I <laughs> I wish I could say that I beat Auburn when I was there, but, yeah, that's one yeah. of those things that you just got to uh, grit your teeth and just let them brag, the guys that was there at the times you was there, because they have the bragging rights. And I, I really don't like talking about those, <laughs> talking, having that conversation when I'm around those guys. Hey, I, I bring this up. I, I realize he's a member of the Alabama running back fraternity now. But watching, we've, we've had the great fortune of going and watching Bama in person three times this season. And Brian Robinson and the running back group 
at Bama this year, it doesn't feel the same. I, I feel like there's a missing link there. And, you know, with Najee Harris or Derrick Henry, I mean, there's always been a lineage of a great running back at Bama with Saban. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the missing piece to this offense than why I'm having hesitations of picking Bama in the SEC championship game, for instance. I don't think they can run it on Georgia. I don't think they can have success in the playoff. Maybe I'm dead wrong here, but do you agree that there's just a different feel to this running back group than what we've seen in recent years at Bama? It's funny you asked that because I just had a conversation about this today with someone. Um, I think Brian Robinson is a great running back. I think he a hard-nosed running back. He's tough. He run hard. And, of course, they don't have that one-two punch like they once had before in the backfield. As far as running the ball, I've, me personally, I don't think they giving him the ball at all as much as, they, as I think he, they should. I think for a fact he's a guy who gets stronger with the more carries he get, the harder he run with the more carries he get. Me personally, I think if they was to give him the ball, you'll have a whole different ball game. I don't think the games that we have played will be even close if they would at least give gave this man the ball. I just think they kind of getting away from what we built on at Alabama, and that's running the ball. Um, some case in point, last week, our quarterback, Bryce Young, great quarterback, great player, career high in passing, 561 yards. That goes to show you right there that we's not we not running the ball. Yeah. And we still won by one touchdown. That was like me personally, I think that's unexcusable. I think our offense is 10 times better than what we're showing, especially in the run game. I just hope and I just hope that leading to the SEC championship that goes into the national championship that me personally, I hope they just Take the the take the leash off Brian Robinson and just give him the ball and well, just let him run. To that point, Kenneth, uh, I mean, he ran it right at Ole Miss. They they chose to run the ball right at Ole Miss's defense earlier this season, and Robinson had a ton of success. You know, mm-hmm. like when they game plan him into the lineup, it works. Uh, exactly. to, to what you're saying, exactly, and that's why that's why I can't that's why I can't. I guess I haven't wrapped my head around it, and I just don't understand because. Like I say, I'm not the only one watching the game. Other people watching the game as well. And you just said it. When you give this man the ball and you continue to give him the ball, he gets better with carries. And that's what I think people fail to realize with running backs. You just can't – if you're a great running back, you just can't give a running back the ball one series three or four times. In the next series, you don't give him the ball at all. As a running back, you have to get in the floor of the game, get the feel for the game by getting those carries. And if you don't do that, of course it's hard for a running back to get his game going. So, like I say, hopefully they know to give this man a ball because once you give him the ball, he's, as everybody can see, he's a force to be reckoned with. And, of course, he will open up a whole bunch of other things. Can that's why I like Georgia. That's why I like Georgia because they yeah. balance. They run the ball great and they throw the ball great. And to me, I think that's what we went away from. Is running the ball as much, and I think we're trying to rely more on the passing game. Kenneth, we're based here in Nashville, so we get to see Derrick Henry uh, up close and personal uh, with, with the Titans. Uh, just yes, an incredible sir. career, and I know you as an Alabama running back watching another former Alabama running back, what's your perspective as you watch Derrick Henry? Talk about a guy who gets stronger as the game goes on, the more carries he gets. What's it like watching a guy that size be able to do everything he's able to do? Man, that's impressive. I thought the kid was impressive when he was at uh, Bama. I'm like, man, this guy a big guy. He he explosive. He got a good breakaway speed, good vision, strong. I'm like, man, you 
And most guys, you see that size, you see like that game kind of diminish as they go more and more in the game. But no, this guy, he just, like I said, he gets stronger with each carry. And that's why I think I like Brian Robinson so much, man, because I, he kind of remind me of a Derrick Henry far as like running strong, running hard. He more so to him and not the nail. And that's what I like about him. Obviously, a huge rivalry game to take care of here for Bama and uh, Georgia Tech ahead of Georgia. But mm-hmm. uh, we'll allow you to peek ahead of this weekend, presuming the results that, that Vegas says will happen, say. Uh, <laughs> what do you envision in, in the SEC championship game um, that everybody's been anticipating for a long time? I think it's going to be a real great game. I think it's going to be a close one. I think our guys are going to come out ready to play. I think as a younger team that they are, most of the time they play to the level of their competition. Knowing that Georgia is a great team, number one, they're going to bring their A game. They're going to come with a lot of excitement, a lot of energy. That's going to, in turn, raise our guys' energy. I think it's going to be a close game. I think um, we're going to, of course, come out victorious. Yeah. But I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a dogfight for sure. Kenneth Darby has been our guest, former Alabama running back. Great chat with you, man. Uh, appreciate no you coming on the show. Let's do it again soon. Most definitely. Whenever. All right. Take care. Kenneth Darby has been our guest. Uh, again, all, all SEC in 2005, uh, the year right before Saban got there. Yeah, 0-4 so, against Auburn. Yeah. That had to be tough. Well, and then they lost – I believe they lost to, to Auburn the year 1-0. after that. And then things And turned. then Saban broke the streak – Won 36 nothing in 2007 against Auburn. A little catharsis in that one. Then uh, a guy by the name of Cam Newton showed up on campus <laughs> on the planes. Time to preview all things NFL Week 12. Armando Salguero from Outkick.com, senior NFL writer, joins us. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Armando. Hope you're doing well. Oh, guys, thank you very much. Happy Thanksgiving to you. And I am very thankful that I am, you know, a small insignificant part of your team at Outkick 360. Uh, very uh, significant. You're very, very significant. significant. Don't ever uh, underrate your significance on the show, Armando. That's right. That's right. Hey, uh, is is the lead story today on social media, Aaron Rodgers showing a, a picture of his foot on camera? Bro. <laughs> I just keep scrolling past. I can't. There's too many of them. I'm just happy that it was a foot. I'll yeah. So is Rex Ryan. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) very good very good so is Rex Ryan hey uh, best matchup tomorrow which game you mean uh, which game after Detroit and Chicago is that what you're really talking about right because the appetizer to to tomorrow's games is yikes terrible Uh, I would have to say obviously the Bills and, uh, and the Saints so uh, I'm going with that. Funny enough, I think it might be Dallas and Vegas because without the passing options for Prescott, uh, they're without Amari Cooper. They're likely without C.D. Lamb, although I haven't seen anything official on that today yet. Um, I think that evens the game out a bit against that Raiders defense. Well, I got to check my sources because I think C.D. Lamb's going to play. Okay. Uh, but, you know... I'm not questioning you. I'm just saying I think he's going to play. We'll see. Um, I would say to you that 
the Cowboys are going into that game with um, some anger issues, and they should because they made a big deal last week about um, measuring themselves against the Kansas City Chiefs standard, mm-hmm. the Super Bowl team standard, and they fell short. And this week, I guess, you know, I don't think that the Las Vegas Raiders are that standard. In fact, I think the Las Vegas Raiders are headed towards mediocrity this season, which is exactly where they're at at five and five. But Dallas needs to overcome and kind of put in its rear view mirror the the Kansas City game because that was a a, a terrible, terrible effort. And it was a terrible effort on offense, which is supposedly – the unit that is going to drive the bus for them through the playoffs. So unless their bus is downright broken down, um, I'm thinking that the Cowboys are going to put it on the Raiders a little bit. How's the Buffalo Bills bus right now? Is it broken down? What level of questioning are you doing for the Bills? I look at that roster, Armando, and think, this is a great team, and I see 41-15 to home loss the Colts. I see 9-6 to in Jacksonville, and there's just some – outcomes that are difficult to explain with that roster. Yeah, and what's interesting is that they keep saying things like, this is not who we are. Uh, we're better than this. Uh, we'll get it fixed. And yet, it is who you are. You have not gotten it fixed. And it, you're not better than this because you keep doing it. And so at some point, the Buffalo Bills, I believe, have to figure out that we got to run the ball against, you know, deep shell coverage. Um, We have to be patient. It can't be Josh Allen throws 40-yard missiles on every down. And it has to be a process rather than we're we're the Buffalo Bills and just bow before us. The old baseball adage is uh, you don't just throw your glove out on the field and win. The fly balls don't just land there. You have to actually play. And I think the Buffalo Bills have somehow forgotten that. So uh, $790 is that the right number on the settlement that the league struck with St. Louis to get out of this potential mess? We're probably going to find out some interesting details because – uh, they can't. There's no NDA involved in in this settlement when you settle with the city. The big question here is if Stan Kroenke is going to have to cover this, or if owners are on the hook for it. How much strife do you anticipate there being amongst ownership over this, which was supposed to be a non-issue when Kroenke got his way out of St. Louis? Right. Well, there's been a good deal of strife according to the reporting uh, of one Seth Wickersham, who's done a really good job with that, uh, including at the league meetings in the winter, uh, owners, you know, kind of challenging Gronky and and not, not appreciating his stance and not appreciating the fact that old Stan Gronky was not, you know, going to pony up. So my guess is that a lot of this settlement, you know, there's not an NDA, but <laughs> we don't we don't get a whole lot of depot uh, releases either. So 
that's going to be interesting to me. That's what really the discovery was the thing that had value to the general population in that in that whole deal, uh, Paul. And I'm not sure we're going to see a lot of that. So Bears ownership basically came out today. There's a report that Bears ownership told the Bears nothing to the other report that Matt Nagy would be fired after tomorrow's game, never minding the Bears. What's your general stance on in-season firings? Um, healthy for a team that knows it's going to make a change anyway, head start, all of that stuff? Or as the Bears have determined over the course of their history, purposeless, they've never done it before? Right. So I, I understand December when when seasons ended the first week of January, I understood those firings because it did get a jump start for the the crew that was ever assigned to go out and find a new coach. They could hit the ground running once this, the regular season ended, rather than you know Black Monday, so to speak, the day after the season ends. Now we're gonna go through the process of firing the guy telling the team, holding a press conference, telling the press, it's out there. So if you could do it three three weeks in advance, yeah, sure. But in November, I don't see the point of November coach firings. That's that's just, what are you, what are you doing? I, I, so I guess I'm sitting on the fence, aren't I, Paul? I didn't give you the one or the other. No, that's a, reason, that's a reasonable answer. There's not much you're going to do at Thanksgiving. Armando Salguero, our guest. Uh, as we go into Thanksgiving weekend and week 12, Armando, down the backstretch of the season, I'm curious from the AFC perspective, who you trust? And, and not from the, okay, here's the Super Bowl contender. More just uh, under, the, under the guideline of more times than not, you trust that they're going to show up and play their brand of football, consistent brand of football with who they have. Where do the, Ra- Where do the Ravens come down on that list for you? Trust them or not? I trust them um, if Lamar Jackson is healthy and I trust them if their defense is playing at its potential, neither of which has been true the last couple of weeks. Uh, Lamar Jackson will be playing this week. I, I can't speak to their defense. I know that, look, I think that John Harbaugh is arguably the best coach in the NFL. And I know that that's not a popular opinion because you know, the the Belichick army will come after me and the Andy Reid clan will come after me and all <laughs> people. But, you know, I don't care about the Andy Reid clan coming after me with turkeys. It's fine. Uh, and hamburgers. I'm good. John Harbaugh is a, is a great, great coach. He's a great in-game coach. He's a, a very good uh, strategist and the guys play for him. Having said that, who do I trust week to week that is going to be a team that's going to deliver its personality? It's the New England Patriots. They know who they are better than anyone. Uh, And they stick with that personality. And that personality, by the way, is not we're going to throw the ball, you know, 40 times and unleash and unveil Mac Jones. That's not it. The personality is we're going to run it 30 times and play great defense and, you know, not hurt ourselves, not beat ourselves, limit penalties. And at the end of it, in the fourth quarter, we're going to be in it 
and we're better coached than you. How about Kansas City after what you saw against Dallas? Yeah, they've. it's not just Dallas. They've had like three or four games in a row where their defense has played, you know, championship caliber uh, level. The offense, you know, honestly, they played well in the first half against Dallas and then scored three points in the second half. And I'm not sure that they're right yet. It, it feels like they are because they're winning, but make no mistake about it, and I wrote it on OutKick, they're winning on defense, not offense. Uh, you know, they still don't have a running game. Patrick Mahomes' mechanics are still a little whack, and I, I, I just can't embrace them. I'm sorry. I'm the idiot. I'm kind of with you. I'm not all the way back in like uh, like a lot of people. The thing is, I don't see anybody else coming on that I'm in love with either in the AFC. Armando, don't you expect the Detroit Lions to play to their personality and who they are week after week? Isn't that a team that we trust at this point to be exactly who they are? I say that yeah, joking, but there is something about the listless Lions playing on Thanksgiving in the early game every year that sort of adds to their mystique. That as a nation... We have to watch the Lions at least once a year because they're always playing at home in that early game. And I actually appreciate that for some reason. So I make a living covering the NFL. And I really, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I actually had to look up Tim Boyle. (laughs) Uh, Really? Tim Boyle is their backup quarterback? And on, on tomorrow... He might be their starting quarterback again. And so when that's when that is uh what you've got going on at at the most important position on the field, I don't think it's a surprise that your best game of the season so far and we're in late November was a tie. A tie. So uh, you know I like Dan Campbell. He's a great quote. He's good at press conferences. Uh, He's a compelling dude, and he could bench press me, all right? But he's not got enough talent, and I'm not sure he's that great a coach. In your career covering the Dolphins uh, before you expanded to the entire league, did you draw a lonely um, Thanksgiving morning or two in, in Detroit? Actually, Paul, when I before uh, when I worked at ESPN, <laughs> I was the last guy hired, and so for three consecutive years, I got the Detroit Lions game. Uh, you know, and it wasn't fun. It I did a lot of soul searching. You know, after the games, they end around 3.30, 4 o'clock. You're done working about 5.30, 6 o'clock because it's television, and those guys don't really work that hard. And then I would drive back to Detroit proper because, oh, by the way, back then, the games were in Pontiac, Michigan, and, of course, everything was closed. Um, Of course... You know, there is no place to, to to go anywhere. It was cold. It was Detroit. <laughs> so I I one one time I had a turkey a cold turkey sandwich. 
I called down to room service Close. and they said, we've got nothing. We've got a, a turkey sandwich we can send up to you. And that was my Thanksgiving meal. And I did a lot of soul searching as to whether I wanted to continue at ESPN. Armando Salguero, our guest here on Outkick 360. Uh, crazy story uh, in a sad situation with Everson Griffin last night up in Minnesota. I'm seeing reports now he has come out of his house. For those that have, haven't seen the video that he posted online last night, he's texting his agent at you know wee hours of the morning. He uh, has a gun out saying that someone's there to get him. You can tell he's not in his right headspace uh, with the video that he posted. Uh, and we're all thankful that he's actually out of the house and getting the help that he needs. But man, what a crazy situation in the middle of a football week for the Vikings. Right. So we're hearing more and more and more about uh, players coming forward with uh, emotional, mental issues, psychological issues, um, and they're being way more open about it now because uh, it's it's not seen as a sign of weakness like it used to be maybe uh, decades ago where men just wouldn't confess to any sort of uh, weakness like that. This is obviously falling in that realm. Uh, there are some demons chasing Everson Griffin, and I hope he gets help. Uh, the The dude needs your prayers. The dude, you know, that dude needs Jesus. That's all I can say about that. Armando, uh, I read the, the your work at as always at Outkick. One of the pieces this week, Pittsburgh and Cincinnati in a matchup that feels like a play-in game for the postseason because the AFC North, while they're the only division where every team is above five hundred, it appears as though only two teams in that division are going to make the postseason. So, with that in mind, the winner of Bengals Steelers, where Cincinnati is the home favorite. It feels like the winner of that game has the upper hand on the playoffs. Cincinnati, the home favorite, and they've already beaten the Steelers. So if they beat the Steelers again, you know, the Steelers are not just needing to tie the Bengals. They need to have a better record than the Bengals the rest of the way uh, to get ahead of them. So the beauty of that game is that Mike Tomlin sees the, Mike Tomlin sees the reality of it. And he's embracing it. He's talked about this week that it is, in fact, a play-in game to get into the single elimination tournament. He's talked about the importance of it. He's talked about how uh, he brought up revenge as a motivating factor, which is, you know, it's almost taboo now to use revenge as a motivating factor. But he embraced it. We lost to them. We've got to, you know, we've got to, Avenge that loss. I love Mike Tomlin. <laughs> I mean, he is unvarnished and all in on unpopular coach speak. And he doesn't care. And he's telling you that it's important. And he's not afraid that if he fails, he's going to have to answer for making that game basically like a playoff game. That's the beauty of him. He's been the coach there forever. And regardless of what happens this weekend, he's going to be the coach there for a long time to come, regardless. There was a stat. So, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. Well, uh, speaking of this game, there's a stat that came out 
that I was stunned by, individual NFL stat, where there have been 38 quarterbacks in the league that have thrown at least 50 passes since week five. And I realize that this is all, you can make any stat fit the narrative here. But 50 passes at least since week five, 38 quarterbacks have done it. Only one quarterback has done that and not thrown an interception. And it's Ben Roethlisberger. He would have been among the last quarterbacks I would have named in this category, especially with watching him and how things went in September. He has nine touchdowns to zero interceptions and a passer rating of over 104 since week five. And they're four and one since that stretch. So why are we so down on the Steelers right now? Well, they're four. uh, You know, I'm not down on the Steelers. They're four and one in that stretch. And by the way, the game that they lost it's not because Ben Roethlisberger let them down. It's that the other team scored like 45 points or something. Yeah, and then one game was a tie as well. I should throw oh, that okay. in. Oh, okay. There, there is that. Uh, <laughs> look, we, everybody assumes that, and I think it's a fair assumption, this is Ben Roethlisberger's final year. I can tell you this. Uh, if he goes through with his initial plans to retire, there will be players – playing quarterback on NFL teams next year, not as good as 40-year-old Ben Roethlisberger will be next year. So if he really, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if someone comes to him. He he wants to stay in Pittsburgh. If the Steelers can't find a, a new quarterback, if they can't solve the issue, which they haven't, and they have no candidates, uh, they just don't. And we get into April, May. I, I, you know, if I'm the Steelers, why not bring back Ben Roethlisberger or at least try? Colts and Eagles both doing a better job closing on teams in front of them that look like shoe wins. I would still think the Titans and Dallas are in good shape. But if you're looking at the Colts and the Eagles, which one you like better as at least a strong wild card and a threat to the team ahead of them right now? Right. I think it's interesting. So Carson Wentz's new team against Carson Wentz's old team yeah. is what we're basically pitting there. Uh, I like Carson Wentz's new team a whole lot better. I think they're better coached. I think uh, you know they they their defense. I, I like what uh, Eberflus, their defensive coordinator, does with them. Uh, Darius Leonard is a borderline defensive player of the year guy uh, this year. Um, you know, and I just I I think Carson Wentz got kind of a raw deal. I know he had a really bad ending in Philadelphia. But I think he is uh, an arrow up kind of player who can be something that no one expects. Uh, The thing that derailed him was the injuries. And oh, by the way, he has what who is now the best running back in the NFL right now. And Jonathan Taylor to hand off to just in case. Follow Armando on Twitter at Armando Salguero. Happy Thanksgiving to you, man. And uh, we look forward to catching up to you next week. Enjoy the games. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys. Love you. Be thankful you're not in Detroit this year for Thanksgiving. That's right. Congrats. That's right. Armando Salguero has been our guest. Great work at Outkick.com, senior NFL writer and columnist. I got better food than he did when I covered 
Alliance Thanksgiving. I want to say day. once again, I'm lonely. thankful for another year I'm not in Detroit, just like Armando this year. <laughs> it's One more lone... year I made it. Still not in Detroit. I think every sports writer that's been there has had that same feeling of, is this really what I want to do? Coming up, I have three outright underdogs that I feel are winning outright this weekend in He's the back NFL. back to three. Time to get that's, my that's out. A good three sign. games I like. I'm Plus, Paul's got some props for you for Thanksgiving night Let's as go well. for it tomorrow It's all night. straight ahead on Outkick 360. PK has his prop bets coming up in just a couple of minutes for Thanksgiving night NFL action. It's all straight ahead. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody. Right now, though, I've got not two but three outright winners, NFL underdogs, who I think uh, can win these games outright fire at FanDuel.com slash OK360. Chad, fire Let's up your start. I've got it fired up. In Indianapolis, Colts are home underdogs with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coming to town. Tom Brady, and look, I'm, I have my reservations about this because Tom Brady has passed for at least two touchdowns in his last six games. He's thrown 19 touchdown passes in that stretch. Mike Evans has caught eight of the 19. But here's Indianapolis, where Frank Reich said, you know what? We're just going to turn around and hand the ball off to the best running back in football currently. Derrick Henry's out. Jonathan Taylor now takes over on that throne. And Jonathan Taylor... The Colts are 6-0 and when he rushes for 100 yards in a game. He also leads the NFL, more importantly, leads the NFL with 15 touchdowns. 13 of those are on the ground. They can control the line of scrimmage. They can control the clock in this game. I think it's a low-scoring affair in Indy. And I think the Colts can win outright. I like that one a lot. Rams against the Packers. L.A. is too talented on defense not to figure it out, and they're coming off a bye week. They've had an extra week to prepare for Green Bay, Meanwhile, Aaron Rodgers is dealing with a toe injury. I would take the Rams. Uh, and it's not because of Matthew Stafford. He's got to stop turning the football over. It's more about their defense. Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Jalen Ramsey. Uh, and I can't wait to watch the matchups with Ramsey defending Adams, although they play a ton of zone in L.A. When they are matched up, that is appointment viewing. I'm taking the Rams over the Packers. And I'm taking the Vikings as road dogs against the 49ers. Minnesota has turned the ball over a league low six times. Six times in 11 games. That's it. They protect the football, and I think they can get after Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo's good. I mean, people don't want to give him credit. He's good because he wins. It's an outstanding win-loss record for Garoppolo and San Francisco. Uh, and Debo Samuel is worth the price of admission. If you're not paying attention to him, it's time to. He's second in the NFL in receiving yards in the entire league. And he's rushed for 115 yards and two touchdowns over the last two games because they've now put him in the backfield in Shanahan's offense. They'll have to come up with a solution for him. But Minnesota is one of the more intriguing teams of the entire league for me. They have 21 touchdowns and only two interceptions from Kirk Cousins. 21 touchdowns, only two interceptions on the season from Kirk Cousins. And they're 5-5. Five and five. Three of those losses either came in overtime or on the opponent's final possession in regulation. They're a good team that keeps games close. They're a good team to bet as a road underdog. I'm taking the Vikings. Those are my three. I'm I going like, with the Colts, Rams, and Vikings. I like your odds for two out of three of those. Um, I think Aaron Rodgers' toe could be a factor here as well. You ever have a team that's doing well that you just don't want to buy? That's me with the Vikings. 
Well, it's amazing to me that uh, Armando Salguero preseason said Kirk Cousins will light it up this season. Yeah, he, he was. And I remember it. thinking, okay, and he is dead on right. <laughs> He's lighting it up, twenty-one to two touchdown interception. Well, I mean, they, it's it's nothing nothing fun to watch. I mean, yeah, they, dink they dink and dunk. And dunk. But well, Justin Jefferson gives them protect the football. And, and, and uh, look, it's not winning football. They're five and five, but it, they're close games. I, I like them as a potential underdog outright winner. Schedule dictates that my props be on uh, for tomorrow night's game, and uh, and so I look to the Bills. And look, we've talked a lot about the Saints' run defense, and we've talked a lot about the Bills' trouble running. So you can bet these solo. I'm, I'm going under on all the rushing props for the Bills here. Josh Allen under 30 and a half. Devin Singletary under 23 and a half. Zach Moss under 21 and a half. You could package those all together with Josh Allen as an anytime score. These are not good odds individually. Minus 114 on the ones I just mentioned. Josh Allen as an anytime score uh, plus 180. But you package that all together, and you're getting uh, plus two thousand sixty-six. Turn five bucks Ooh. into over a hundred bucks. So I'm parlay. just basically betting Saints run defense against Bills rush offense. You wake um, up Friday morning on Black Friday, and you're able to uh, spend a little. Paul, I was spend about to crush you on that bet because all those numbers were so low in terms of odds and what you'd get back. But then when you said, "Well, you parlay them all together, and you get this," okay. Yeah, I'll play that uh, game. There are limitations. Can because, you parlay that? Yeah, you can yeah, parlay those those four. Okay. Yeah, there All was right. another one I had in there that it wouldn't you know let what? me parlay. I'll do it. So <laughs> give, do it, give right it a now. crack. The you thing is, the, the thing is, uh, it won't let me get to Sunday games until Thursday games are are over. Um, so limitations on that. So uh, uh, taking a crack. I really do. I mean, the Bills just suck running the football. Um, and you know, you say, well, Josh Allen's going to run for one. Well, I think he'll run for one from inside the five. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's realistic. And look, I have a couple of these backs on fantasy teams and I can vouch for the fact that they're not doing anything. I just don't put that graphic up one more time. So here's a, a Buffalo with Singletary and Zach Moss. Look at the numbers that are. Set oh, I know. Them. Yeah. I mean, pathetic they, they cannot run. They're not. And I want to just show this off because Singletary, I mean, you're the, the line is back. at 23 and a half for a lead back. Uh, but they give, he is an extension of their run game in the passing game, though. Yeah, uh, he's he's a flex in the in, in fantasy football because they pass it to him so he's often. Not, if you haven't seen my team, he's not a flex on um, my team. <laughs> Zach Moss, though, I mean, has been banged up, and I mean, they just do they don't trust him. They don't run it, or if they if they do trust him, they don't trust their run game enough to just stick with it. And that's why, I mean, 21 and a half yards for Zach Moss. Also, the Saints are coming off that game against the Eagles, who did run with some success, but they're still third in the league, and they're probably pissed off about what happened against the Eagles. On national TV, they're going to want to show who they are. And who they are over the big body of work is a team that doesn't let people run. Over the next hour, we have one thing on every Thanksgiving Day game. We'll preview all the three games for tomorrow for you to get the table set for the NFL Thursday. Withrow's got the games of the week, the top 10 games of the week for college football in week 13. Also known as the seizure graphic. Um, We will dive into all the NFL games. We'll talk Tennessee Vandy. And when we come back, we preview Titans and Patriots. Three keys on how Tennessee goes on the road to Foxborough and actually wins in week 12. No one's expecting them to. We'll tell you how they do it next on OutKick 360.